Yo, this is Pastor Tito here, welcoming you to another episode of our Revolutionary Podcast, where I am here to help you find faith in Christ and how to follow through with your life. And today we're going to look at the sixth of the seven churches, right? The sixth out of the seven churches that Jesus is addressing in the book of Revelation. Who are, who's following through? All right. This is what it looks like when you are following through in your faith. This church that we're going to talk about is gives us a great example of what that looks like in the end, the final result. And it should motivate us and it should encourage us to, to choose really this path to want this in our lives, to want this for our friends, to want this for our church, because this is what God wants for us. And so what I want to you, what I want for you is for you to listen, lean in and hear what God has to say to you. So let's go ahead. For all of you that are watching online, everybody here, we are in the middle of a series that we're doing, uh, studying the book of Revelation, which has been a great, crazy book. It's been a great book for us so far. I've, um, I've been enjoying it. I know some of you guys from talking to you as well. It's been a blessing for you. And guys, I want you to know that that river, that river of water that, that we talk about, that we're just singing about, listen, it's also his words. The God says, and he says his words are like water to your soul. So if you showed up thirsty, all right, Sprite they can't quench your thirst the way the spirit can, all right? So that's where we're at today. Now, we are looking at Revelations chapter 3, and we are looking at these seven letters to the seven churches. Jesus had a special, unique word, seven individual words for seven individual historical churches of the first century. But those seven, I want you to know this is a Bible term, those seven, the number seven represents completion. All right. Every time you see seven, you see a time of completion. And so Jesus is talking to these seven churches. And I really believe that the message that he has to these seven churches are meant to the church of all time. So any church. And in that church, in those letters, he is correcting and encouraging. He's saying, yo, I'm loving, loving, loving this. Y'all got to work on that. All right. We got an area here. Make some tweaks, make some adjustments. Why is Jesus so interested in the church, not just those seven, but us today, 2020, the church today, why is he so interested in us learning from their experiences? Because listen, the reason why Jesus wanted us and those churches to make adjustments is because we are called to make a difference in this world. God literally leaves the church. This is why you don't, amen, Jesus, I believe in you and forgiveness of our sin. And then the reason why you don't pop up like that and immediately go to heaven is because we are called to make a difference here. God wants to use you in this time. And these seven letters are a gift. I want you to know that. It's a gift to us for us to be able to understand the heart of God. What does it mean to follow Christ? What does it mean? How can we make that difference? Well, that's what these letters are for. And we're going to see something super interesting in this small, in this little letter here on how we, this is real. I ain't playing games here. This ain't a dream. But also he speaks of truth. That Jesus is the truth. And the other one, what does he have? He has a key. Y'all catch that? Y'all read that? He has a key of David. I got to break this down because this is so interesting that you won't notice until you see the whole thing. And this is going to, this sets up everything else we're going to, that God is going to show us today. What is the key of David? If you've been with us so far, you know that Jesus showed John in Revelation 1. The king has the keys. And Jesus had some keys and says, hey, John, I got the keys 
of death and Hades. I got the keys of death and hell. And keys speak of authority, access, right? What you lock, you can lock things or unlock things, all right? This is simple, y'all, y'all tracking. So the keys of death and Hades, the keys of death and hell means, yo, I have locked up the power of sin and death. I've locked up the, the power of hell. I have locked up the devil. He got limitations I put on him, and what I close, no one can open. What I've locked up, no one can unlock. And that's amazing because now when you are a believer in Christ Jesus and when you die, death no longer has a claim on you. The devil no longer has a claim on you. Sin no longer defines you. And it doesn't matter what they say because God has locked up. He has the keys of hell and the keys of death and he has locked up their power. They are limited now. And if you are a believer in Christ Jesus, you ain't got to sweat that. You don't got to worry about that. But now the key of David is not a key that closes. The key of David that Jesus says I have is a key that opens. Now here's, I'm gonna try to say this as fast as I can because this is important. What is the key of David? First off, you have to understand what Moses and then David. God gave Moses in the Old Testament a model, a tabernacle, all right? The word, our name, tabernacle of God, the reason why tabernacle means tent, Okay, not because we like camping, even though I love Fort Wilderness camping at Disney, it's on another level, y'all don't know, y'all don't know. But listen, tent means, it means that it's a dwelling place. It's a dwelling place. And God wants to dwell among his people, all right, to tabernacle among us. And so here's the thing with Moses. God gave him a picture. Listen, Moses, I have a tabernacle I want you to have. And the tabernacle of Moses, let me just give you, this is an easy one. It was meant to teach people how to worship God, how to have a relationship with God. I can't explain it. Don't got the time. Moses' tabernacle taught how. How can you have a relationship with God? How to walk with God? How to do that? But then God gives David a revelation. And then David sets up a different tabernacle in Jerusalem at one point. So in the, at one time, two tabernacles existed. In Bethel, you had Moses's and then David's in Jerusalem. Both were different. In Moses's, there was order, there was structure, there was processes. In David's, there was no structure, there was no process. It was just like open court, right? And when I was in high school, and I, I used to, man, I miss playing basketball, but we used to have a thing called open gym, right? It means the gym, you, you show up and you play, you know, that's, you know, that's it. And you, if you win, you run it, that's, that's what you do. So that's what that was. David's tabernacle did not teach how. David's tabernacle taught who. Who can worship God? Who can have a relation with God? Moses was how. David's was who? And that's the key of David. Because in Moses' tabernacle, there was a veil that only one could pass through the veil to encounter the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant. But did you know that in David's tabernacle, there was no veil? It was an open tent. It was an open-air tent. And anyone could come in. The king could come in. It wasn't just a high priest. I mean, literally, Jews, check this out, and non-Jews. Like that, that's a huge revelation at that point. Because in David's tabernacle, God said, listen, there will come a time that the door is going to be open and anyone can come to me. Anyone can approach me because I will be the perfect sacrifice. Jesus himself in his life fulfilled Moses' tabernacle so that we can enter. And this is interesting. When Jesus died, if you know the, if you know the story, what happened when he died on the cross in the, ta- in the temple that was modeled after Moses' tabernacle? There was a big veil in the back that split wide open, meaning God, because of his grace, kicked the door open that separated a holy God and unholy people. The door is open. Now we can all approach God, anyone. It doesn't matter who you are, your background, what you know, what you've done. 
We can all approach God now. That is the tabernacle. That is the key of David. He has opened a door. And I remember what Jesus said? I've opened it. No one can close it. Meaning I've opened the door for all to be saved. And I just love looking at the devil and demons saying, y'all can't do nothing about this. Y'all can't close this door. I opened it. Nobody can close that. And that's awesome because now that door means the only one that can keep you from walking through that door is you. Not the devil, not no demon, just you. So we see God is the one and only holy one, true one. The one with the key, he opened the door. Now, let's read the rest of the letter. And I want you to see how all of that's going to play in. And how it not only spoke to that church, it's going to speak to us today. Ready? Here we go. Let's keep going. I'm going to read the, for everybody upstairs and everybody watching, we're going to read the whole thing in its entirety. Here we go. Number 8 through 13. Jesus is saying to this church, I know your works. Look, I have placed before you an open door. All right, check it out. I have placed before you an open door that no one can close because you have but little power. Yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. So I love Jesus in this detail. He says, note this, check this out, pay attention, write it, buddy, notification. Here, look at this. I will make those from the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews and are not but they're lying. I will make them come and bow down at your feet and they will know that I have loved you because you have kept my command, singular, my command to endure. I will also keep you from the hour of testing that is going to come on the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. So hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. It's an interesting word here. The one who conquers, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will never go out again. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I'm going to write my new name. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. All right? So here's something, guys, that we noticed in this one church. You ready? This church has an opportunity and has to face obstacles, yet there is something obvious going on that is important that needs to be obvious towards us. The first thing is that notice that Jesus is the one who opens the doors, and what did he tell this church? I give you an, I give you an open door. Now, what does that mean? Because look, I've opened the path for all to be saved, but now I'm gonna give you, Philadelphia, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to lead others through that door. All right, so if you can associate an open door with the phrase window of opportunity, anybody ever heard that one or used it before, right? Yo, we got a window of opportunity here, right? It was like Labor Day. We got some deals. We got some sales. We got a window of opportunity to spend some money right now. Anyways, so that's what that means. Window of opportunity, open door, same thing, okay? Same thing. Jesus tells this church, I'm going to give you guys an opportunity of a lifetime to lead others into saving grace, into salvation. And I'm gonna give it to you because you have little power. That's, that's weird, right? How is Jesus gonna give this church this big opportunity, but this church got little power? See, that's what we're gonna argue is that the reason why Jesus can give this church this big opportunity is because they know they have little power. This is a humble church. This is a church that is not placing Hey, yo, we got the biggest, baddest worship team on the block. Our preacher spits fire every single Sunday. The buildings, the hand sanitizers, oh my gosh, it's, all, it's on flea. It's, it, we got it. It's, it's good, right? Yo, man, we got this. We got the programs. We out there in the community. We don't, no, 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 listen. This church is not putting their trust and confidence in themselves. They understand they have little power, meaning we can't do this without God. 
Compare that to the church of Sardis, where God had the Holy Spirit and leaders in his hands. The church that had a reputation of being alive. If there was anyone out of the seven churches who I said this, who was probably voted most likely to succeed, meaning most likely to just kind of kill it. Leo, who's really doing well in spreading the gospel? Everybody would have voted for Sardis because they had a reputation of being alive because everything on the outside looked great. They were crushing it on the outside, but Jesus said, yeah, on the inside, yeah, you guys are dead. It's all empty. It's hollow because there was no holiness. I wouldn't be surprised if there was a vote. Who is, eh, who needs most improvement? Who needs to kind of really get their act together? Who's really doesn't have, if anyone, who's the least likely to make the biggest impact? I have a feeling they would have voted for Philadelphia and Smyrna, the second church we talked about. I think they would have voted for them because there was some church, they had some opposition. It was different. Oh, and uh, do you know what's interesting about this Philadelphia one? If you've been tracking the last couple weeks, did you notice what Jesus didn't say to the church in Philadelphia? Not one criticism. Every letter Jesus has, something good to say, something negative to say. Hey, y'all are doing great. Y'all need to work on this. Only two out of the seven churches did not get. Uh, by the way, I got this issue with you. Only two. Smyrna, the second one, and this one. Only two did not receive any negativity. Only eight. Hey, y'all just keep going what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep going. But guys, listen, these two churches, I believe they, they possess all of the positives of all the seven Without the negatives of the other five. I mean, it is a model for us. These two are a model for us to follow as individual Christians and as a church. But he says, I'm giving you an opportunity, guys, because I know. Jesus says, hey, with the little, if you're faithful with the little, right, I'll make you faithful over much. This church knew we can't do anything without God. We can't do anything in our own strength, in our own wisdom, in our own understanding, nothing. And so Jesus says, because you are relying on me so much, that is what makes it possible for you to make such a big difference. This church was considered weak, but Jesus was declaring, no, you are strong. They may say you are weak, little power, but you are strong. Do you know what Jesus said to the Smyrna church? People say you are poor, but I say you are rich. Guys, both of those churches right there give us an amazing, amazing perspective. Listen, it doesn't matter what they say, what anyone says, what even you say about yourself. If you are in Christ Jesus, you may be poor, not financially, forget that. If you are poor in what you can offer God, poor in strength, poor in wisdom, God says, no, when you realize that you are poor, then that's when you realize how rich you are in the grace of God, how much you have in me. When you realize that you are weak, that you can't do this without me now my weak your weakness won't well, he says my strength will be perfected in your weakness and you will see that my grace is enough for you so guys I want you to understand that you may God I don't know I can't do this anymore I can't take another step I can't go I'm buckling under the pressure good because now you are realized now you can lean on and truly understand what God's grace is all about when you are weak that's when you see how strong you are in Christ. And when you think you are poor, like meaning you are nothing, God will show you how special and how amazing he is in you. Isn't that great? That's what we have. That's this model. And because this church, I believe, remember, what does Jesus do? He's the holy one, true one. I believe that this church was walking in both holiness and in truth. Now, to walk in holiness does not mean I'm not making mistakes. 
To walk in holiness doesn't mean I don't sin, guys. I want to encourage you with this. Walking in holiness means I am constantly, I am repenting of all sins that I know. Yeah, I'm missing the mark on that. God, help me be better. I am re repenting of sins and asking God to forgive anything else I don't see, any blind spots that I might have. All right, De walking in holiness means I am denying myself every single day, walking in Christ. It's progression. It's growing in your faith, growing in the truth. And because this church was leaning on the grace of God, on the holiness of God, on the goodness of God, he was going to give them an opportunity of a lifetime to impact eternity. That's the opportunities. When we walk with God, listen, you are changed and those around you are changed forever. And that's what he invites us to do. He just wants us to walk with him. Now, this opportunity had obstacles, right? Did you catch? He says, hey, yeah, note this. I, I see what the synagogue of Satan is doing. By the way, this is the second time, if you've been following us, that the synagogue of Satan pops up. Guess where else the synagogue of Satan pops up? Church number two, Smyrna. The same church. These are very identical churches. The, the synagogue of Satan guys are people who claim to be speaking of and speaking in the name of God. And he's saying, listen, they're, they're, they're ridiculing you. They're saying, no, you're wrong. God doesn't love you. You're too much of a sinner. These were a non-Christian Jews who were saying, yeah, Jesus isn't the Messiah. And they were ridiculing them for, for believing because there were a lot of Jews who believed in Jesus. They were saying, no, you guys, oh, you Jews? Yeah, you, you missed the cut now because no, Jesus ain't the Messiah. They would slander them, tell them God doesn't love you. You were a sinner. And then this, the synagogue of Satan was also a Christian Jews and non-Jews. There was a church who believed, hey, you are saved by grace alone, but you, hey, to follow Jesus, you got to be a Jew, meaning you got to get them curly locks on the side, right? You can't, you got to stop eating bacon. You got to start doing some things. You got to pray. You got to learn Hebrew. You got to do, you got to follow the Mosaic law now in order to follow Jesus. There was some who would push that and they were saying, oh, uh, you, uh, I, 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 see, I see the bacon rap shrimp you're doing. Okay, well, both of those, that's the double negative. Yeah, God don't love you. You're sinning. You're messing up. God can't use you. Do you notice what Jesus said to them? Yeah, all those people were talking. Trust me, they are going to come to know I love you. They're going to know that I love you. Meaning their slander was, you're not doing it right. God doesn't love you. You're not enough. You're not special. What, what can you do? You're not as smart as so-and-so. You don't have that ability. You can't. God doesn't love you. God can't use you. No, they're going to know. They're going to know that I love you. And guys, I want you to know that right now. God wants you to know the same thing. Regardless of what you've done, regardless of what you become, Listen, God wants you to not just know in your head, but know he loves you. He loves you still. He loves you still. And I love that because he said, yo, whatever opposition you're going to face, oh, uh, now trust me, again, I'm going to handle that. I'm going to handle that. There is no opposition. When God says this is the opportunity, nothing is going to stop that. Nothing, no enemy, no, only you can. That's the other part, yo, only you can. Notice that Jesus says, hold on. So that no one takes your crown. So no one takes, so you don't miss out on this opportunity. So you don't lose eternal, not eternal salvation, because that's not what he's talking about. So you can lose eternal rewards. Like you, only you. You have to, I got this opportunity before you, but you got to take it. Right? That's us. That we have to, all the opportunity, the life that God has given you, you have an opportunity right now to live this life a kind of way, but it's your choice. I can't make that choice for you. Your mama can't make that choice for you. Only you can choose to follow Jesus. But when you do, ain't no obstacle stopping you. Ain't no obstacle that can get in your way. The demons can do whatever they want, but in the end, all their opposition is just going to make you stronger and better and lean on God even more. That's what that is. And I love that. I say, listen, I don't care what opposition you're going to face. That opposition can't stop my love for you. 
That opposition can't stop my love for you. What they say can't stop what, how I feel towards you if you're a believer in Christ Jesus. So we got opportunities. We got obstacles. And this is why I believe that they had both. Because there was obvious love. All right, online, I need you to see if you can be, you know, let's, let's uh, do a little participation here. Fill in the blank for me online. Fill in the blank, everybody here. We know we have a city here in America called Philadelphia. And then in it, what's the tagline? It's Philadelphia, the city of? Online, y'all get that? Everybody hear it? It's the city of what? Brotherly love. Why is Philadelphia called the city of brotherly love? Because that's what the name means. Philadelphia is, comes from this Greek word phileo. Phileo means brotherly love. Agape is one we talked about. It's the Greek word for the love of God towards us, the perfect love of God. But then we have phileo, which is brotherly love between each other, between one another. So Philadelphia is a city of brotherly love. Why is God giving this church an opportunity? Because there was obvious love there. There was both fatherly love and brotherly love in this church that's all they had. They had little power, but there was a lot of love. And in the love of God, there was much power. You don't believe me? Look at how he, look how he smoked the devil just on the cross and through the grave, and look what he did. There is power in the name of Jesus. There was power in the love and the blood of Christ Jesus coming to salvation in Jesus Christ. That woman, that girl was responsible for millions, and he millions, and she millions, that child thousands. I really believe we're going to see that and we're going to acknowledge and thank those who stood at the gate, who stood at the door and pointed and prayed for people to be saved. But that, listen, I want you to know that that walking monument doesn't happen just in heaven. If you are a believer in Christ Jesus right now, you are a walking monument and a testimony to God's love. You hear me? You are a walking monument and a testimony to what God can do. Because look, Yo, his name is on my chest. My name before was sinner. My name before was lost. My name before was hopeless. But now I carry the name of Jesus and the name of Jesus. I'm not hopeless. I have hope. I'm no longer unloved. I am loved. I have the name of Jesus on me. I am not an enemy. I am a son and daughter of God. He has claimed me. And so if you are a believer in Christ, you are a walking monument, a testimony to the moment that God interacted involved in your life. Whether that's God answered a prayer to you today or whether, look, if he can save me, bro, you're good. Okay, that's good too. That's a walking testimony. And that's who you are called to be, walking monuments. And we are called to bear the name of Jesus. And listen, we got to model what the church did, what the church had. They had, this church had fatherly love and brotherly love. And the same goes for us today. Listen. It's, it's, as I was pre prepping this, you know, that this, this was selected, you know, months ago. And, and it's interesting as I was prepping this and talking about brotherly love inside of the church. I just can't help but seeing online just how much, how even more splintered the church is becoming. How much we're, we're, we're becoming more. The church is looking more like the synagogue of Satan slandering each other inside the church than, than, than not. And it's one thing to say, listen, that guy, he spoke a false doctrine. That's important because we're supposed to cold to the truth. But we got to speak truth in love. But I mean, oh my gosh, I mean, it's just disgusting to see, oh, if, if your church promotes this or if your church doesn't promote this, if your church believes in that, if your church doesn't believe in that, you guys aren't, you guys this, you guys that. Listen, I, I don't see so much the church as being divided. I just kind of see the real church as being identified. Instead of, there's a, there's a lot of falseness out there. They, they're just kind of outing themselves. The real church, I believe, is being honed and refined and identified. But here's the thing, though. 
If, if we're, for us to make a difference out there, how can we make a difference out there if there's no difference in here? It starts here. It starts with that brotherly love for one another so that we take this on the outside. That is important. We need that. And we just can't think, well, hey, I made it. I'm inside. I'm on coach now. I'm good, right? Jesus got me, and I don't got to worry about it. No, no, no. Would you love that approach? Would you love if somebody else took that approach for you and, and you were not saved yet? No, you wouldn't. I'm pretty sure you were grateful for the people who prayed for you, encouraged you, and pointed you to Jesus. Guys, you have the opportunity of the lifetime to do the same thing because you can't bring anything else. I don't care how many degrees you have, how much money you make, how much clout you got, none of that. You can't carry any of that to heaven. Only the life that you lived and the souls that you impacted for the kingdom. That's it. That's all you carry. That's all, and that should be, regardless of all the responsibilities, everything should be seen in that light. All right, I wanna encourage you. Let, let me show you this verse. We're gonna look at Colossians in a minute, but listen, now, when I see that brotherly love, let me encourage you. Doesn't mean that you can't have disagreements. Doesn't, can't, doesn't mean you can't debate, okay? I'm sure right now, if we, ha if we got to talk, we would have some debates right now. We would have some differences. We'd be having differences. We might get in debates. We might have disagreements. But listen, in, as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, div uh, disagreements, debates, should never lead to division, the, the love of God supersedes all. Well, we might disagree on non-essentials, but we agree and hold on to the essentials of the gospel, that Jesus, salvation in Jesus Christ alone. And, and we hold on to that, and then you know, we'll, we'll figure out the others, but we don't let that lead us to hate, but to continually, look, I disagree with you, but I still love you, and I can still hang out with you. We can still watch the game together. We can still go out to eat after. I still love you because I care more about you, the person, than your opinion. You follow me? That's that brotherly love, and that can only happen when we have that fatherly love. And that should lead us to look for ways to love. Let me read Colossians 4. Let's put this last verse up there. Colossians 4. Paul is talking to the church of Colossae, and look what he's encouraging this church in verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert with thanksgiving. I'm going to pause. Listen. Devote yourselves to prayer. It's like one of the most non-flashy things that a Christian can do because no one sees you. You don't got a platform unless you Facebook Live yourself, but I hope not. Yes, I hope you're not only praying when you're on, uh, on live. Listen, prayer is one of the most, some would say, oh, but it's the most, oh, whatever. Last week, some of y'all like that suit and tie that I had. Hey, I was hot. I was not going to wear that every single day. Listen, so I wore a suit and tie last week, and I was showing you that we have an armor, that the, the robe that we are covered in, in, in the righteousness of Christ, yet that robe is also like a suit of armor, kind of like that was the James Bond idea. We have that suit of armor. Well, guys, what good of it? If you have a suit of armor of light and that you don't pray, that's like saying, you know, the United States is the most, the biggest, most powerful military, you know, in the world, which it is. And then if a war happens, we don't use any of those resources. Like how silly would that be? Like if you had such powerful weapons, why not use them in case of an emergency, right? Power, prayer is more powerful than you can even begin to comprehend. And that's why, that is why I know it. That is why prayer is slandered so much when there's a controversy and when there's a, right? What do people say? Oh, thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. Forget you, and that's not the word they use, of your thoughts and prayers, right? What is that gonna do? Prayer is being slandered all day, but it is the most, why? Because the devil knows it is the most powerful thing you got. And he doesn't want you to use the most powerful weapon you got to come against him. Because prayer is, listen, the power of prayer is not in your words. Because to pray is to say, God, 
I need you. Come in here. I am pulling heaven down into earth. It is a recognition. See, prayer, a prayer life will lead to a powerful life because it is not you. It is God. It is God in you. Is you are leaning on him. You are leaning on him. That's what it is. Okay, back to the verse. So it says, devote yourselves to prayer. And look at this one specific prayer Paul says we should pray. And at the same time, while you're at it, pray also for us that God, hey, online, everybody, what, is, what did Paul just say there? What does he say? Pray that for us also that God may, what? Open a door. Pray that God may open a door for us for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains so that I may make it known as I should. Act wisely toward outsiders, non-believers, making the most of your time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you should answer each person. See, guys, listen, I want you to know that the power of God in you, he, the Holy Spirit, will give you words to say. But you know what we should be praying for? When was the last time you prayed? And I got to be honest, I got to do better at this. When was the last time you prayed, God, can you open a door for me so I can spread the gospel? Can you open up a door for me so I can show the love of Jesus to someone? What do we tend to pray? But God, I got bills to pay. Okay, my kids are driving me nuts. My boss, school, teachers. Right? We tend to pray about me. It's very easy for us to pray me prayers. You know we should start learning to pray? The prayers. T-H-E-E. The over me. What are, and by the way, the is an old English for you. So we should, as we pray, we look to thee, my God, you, my Lord. And we pray and we praise and we acknowledge him. But then our prayers should also be about thee and thee and thee and thee, meaning you that we are praying for you, praying for others. But then when we pray for ourselves, we should pray, Lord, give me an opportunity. Help me find an open door so that I can be the light and love others. We should pray that prayer. We should pray that prayer. God, give me an open door. And listen, don't be afraid. You know, for the, all the extroverts, y'all probably like that. Y'all, yeah, because y'all extra already, right? If you're an extrovert, you don't got to worry about telling anybody anything, your opinions, okay? The introverts look like me. Can I tell you, it's actually easier for me to talk like this than one-on-one, -on -one. okay? I'm an introvert. I'm more like a cat. I just kind of want to run and hide when I'm in groups in public sometimes, okay? That's just me. But listen, see, that's Okay. You're like, oh, I'm not going to pray that because, oh, what if I mess it up? What if I don't have the right words to say? What if I, good, you realize that you can't do it on your own. So now you can trust in the Holy Spirit. You see that? It's a positive. It's a positive. But we should pray. In our prayer, I want to encourage you this week, pray. Lord, thank you for giving me an open door to be saved. But Lord, give me an open door to bless somebody else today. Give me an open door to be Jesus, to shine the light of Jesus, to point others to Jesus. That should be our prayer. In fact, I got one last image. Can you bring it up, please? Thank you, love. I'm the cat in the relationship. My wife's the puppy. She'll talk to anybody. I'm like, hey, hello, hey, stranger, how are you? No, that's her. She's the puppy. I'm the cat. Okay. All right, I got a bag of coal here. And I want you to know that this is who we are. All right? Um, little disclaimer. Sometimes I get caught up in the moment, and I don't give acknowledgments, things that I should. Sometimes I might say a phrase that comes to me and, and really it was a conversation, it was a phrase that one of you guys had said and you know, that we had talked and it was your idea. But in the heat of the moment, I didn't give you credit. So forgive me, Michael Shun, for not giving you credit sometimes for saying things that was really your idea. And I just kind of got in the moment because I'm gonna share, all right, some, an, an analogy from one of our brothers, talking about brotherly love. His name is Chef Aldo. If you know Chef Aldo, okay, in his paella, you're missing out. But Chef Aldo had this video that he said, listen, the church is like a bunch of coals. 
And see, when a coal is ignited by the love of God, a coal is lit. And if you've ever had to deal with coals, you know how they work, right? You light one coal. And then when that coal is on fire, the next one to it in proximity is lit. And then the next one is lit up until the whole thing is lit. But sometimes when you're dealing with coals, you got some pockets of that are more hot than others, right? You got this one's all lit, but this one, this side over here is dead. So if you're a pit boss, if you know what you're doing up on the grill, what do you do? You take the lit coals and take them to the dead coals or you bring the dead coals into where the hot ones are right you got to move things around you got to mix it up so that the fire that is on this one ignites the one that doesn't have that fire until the whole thing is lit and now we're cooking right see that's when we have the fatherly love we are lit by the fatherly love of God and that fatherly love leads to brotherly love, leads us to love one another, encourage one another, pray for one another, bear one another, and you know, speak to one another, lift up one another. And the more that goes, it goes. But in the church, you're going to have some pockets that are more lit than others. So what do you do? Because of brotherly love, the lit ones go to the ones that are not and say, hey, you're down in the dumps. Let me pray for you. You're, you're, you know, you're discouraged. Let me encourage you. Let me lift you up right now. And then when we, the more a church does that, the more a church does that and it's mixing in, the whole thing is on fire. Now you have revival. Now we're cooking. Now we're going to get to see God do something. And it all, but we need the love of God for us and one another. And that's what our prayer should be. Lord, give me an open door so I can just be, give me, I want to be an open, I just want to be a burning soul. Not coal, you're a burning soul in Christ. How can I be a burning soul to love others? Listen, the door, Jesus hasn't come back yet, just in case you were wondering, okay? He hasn't come back yet. That means the door is still open. And that means that each and every one of you, you have two. If you're not a believer in Christ Jesus, I'm, I'm standing at the door, pointing right now to the door, telling you this is the only way. And don't be upset. I'm like, oh my gosh, why is there only one way? Why is there only one way to be saved? Why God Jesus got to make it so difficult? Listen, I'm just glad that there is a way, all right? Jesus made a way where there was no way. If it wasn't for Jesus, there would be no way. There would be no way. There is one way. This is it. Put your trust and confidence in Jesus. So there's an opportunity now for you to seize. If you are not a believer in Christ, whether here or online. And if you're a, listen, if you're a Christian and maybe you look more like this dead coal right here. You have been away from meeting and encouraging. You've been so isolated because of social distancing. This is now you. Well, I don't care if you're online or here. Listen, the love of God is transferable. All right, and that love, I believe, is gonna light some of you guys up. And it needs to be beyond a Sunday. This is why we have an online community, and this is why we're working towards other things, other face-to-face -face things outside of Sunday, because we need to encourage one. How can we love one another if we don't even see one another, if we don't look at one another? Y'all follow me? Online is great, and it's, we're gonna do both, but we need that, that I look, we do not have. Most churches, including ours, I am not afraid to say it, Look, we don't got the resources that we did back in the day. There's churches right now that are dealing with it. Guess what? It's good. Because our resource is not in our finances. Our resource is not in our numbers. Our resource is in the spirit and the whole of God himself and the love of God. If we got that, that's all we need to make a difference. That's all we need to make a difference is him, is the fatherly love and brotherly love. Guys, the door is still open. That's incredible to know and realize that there is still an open door for us. To repent, to turn back to Christ, right? And in fact, when we've been looking at the last handful of churches, Jesus is calling them all to repent, pretty much telling them, look, there's an open door for you to come back. Like, come back this way. 
But let us remember that our job is not just to walk through the open door. Our job is to point others to the open door before it's too late. Only God can do that. Now listen, as, as, as of the recording of this sermon, all week, the, the, every single time in the news and social media, you're seeing three things. All right, you're seeing burning cities and neighborhoods, riots in the streets, and protests. Now, I'm not against peacefully protesting, because no, obviously we all need to do that. But let me tell you, because there are people out there doing these three things, believing that this is what will change the world. This is what will make things better. There are people out there literally burning down cities and rioting, thinking that it will bring the kind of change that will improve the world. And there are people out there protesting, thinking that that will change the world, but it won't. Not the way it needs to be. Okay. In fact, you, you can ma- you, you can make a dent in society that way. But the biggest difference is made when the soul is redeemed through the confession of sin and through through an encounter with the living Christ. And so, listen, burning cities isn't going to change the world. Burning churches and burning Christians are on fire for the love of God like this faithful church was. Riots aren't going to change anything. Revival will change everything. And if we're going to protest, that's fine. But you know what? It's going to, you know what is going to be a better use of our voice is prayer. Prayer will make and has always made the difference. So guys, this is what's before us. This is the opportunity. We are living in a historic time that I believe God wants to use us to make history. So let's do that. Let's put our trust and confidence in Christ because that's what a revolutionary does. That's what a godly revolutionary does. Pursues Christ and lives, not for this world, but lives for a greater kingdom, calling others to join in on the greatest movement that the world has and will ever see. So with that, guys, I will encourage you to just continue to do that. Be faithful in Christ. Get Have a, have a heart for the Lord and a heart for the lost. All right. And God's going to use you to make eternal history. I'll see you next week as we end our mini series on the seven letters to the seven churches with the saddest of all of the seven letters. God bless you guys.